Hey, welcome to the Fountain City Church podcast. Uh, this is the breakdown from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. We're going to get cracking in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment and uh, just remind you, for those of you who are in our community, uh, we want to encourage you that over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at really people who are consuming from the life of Jesus, and then in two weeks, we'll be talking about those who Jesus invites in close Uh, And for all of us, we're wrestling with what it means to be followers of Jesus, Uh, not just fans at a distance, but people who who are committing, who are devoting our lives to walking in the way of Jesus and to looking at his claims about who he is, but also at his way of life as a model and an example for us to follow. Um, And so this is something that's really powerful for us. And we find that this becomes really, really practical and pragmatic uh, when we're doing this in community over time. Uh, There is just something, there's an invitation to live authentically, to respond in daily acts of love uh, and daily acts of compassion when you are doing life with the same group of people day in and day out. And you really start to flesh out, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus in this context? Um, And I know for me, sometimes um, talking about faith and talking about our practice of that sounds more triumphant than it is because we're not actually living it out. Um, And I don't mean that it lacks triumph. What I mean is sometimes we speak in cliches and things are theoretical, but we're not actually putting it to work. It's not taking root in our flesh. It's not taking root in our day-to-day lives. And there's something about committing to community that enables that to happen. So I just want to encourage you. This is a a drum that we will continue to beat. We really believe in the power of of community, of families, of missionary disciples. That's really our mission is to multiply these families of missionary disciples, to be people who are focusing on uh, this intimate relationship with the Father Uh, through the person of Jesus, and that's discipleship, that we're being made into his image, that we are intentionally taking steps uh, to live in the way and the life and the fullness of Jesus of Nazareth. But we're doing that together in groups of people that we like to think operate more like families than little businesses or or little programs, but they're families. They're people who um, are relating to each other in commitment and in devotion and in meeting one another's needs, and in celebration, and all those areas. Accountability, uh, we we really believe that it's meant to look more like family. Uh, And finally, that we are people who live on mission. So I want to encourage you, if you're in our community and you've been contemplating um, communities, or you listen to it on Sundays and it's kind of a disconnected thought for you, um, this transformation into uh, people who look and live like Jesus, that doesn't happen just on Sundays from 11 to 1. Like that, that really requires you putting down deep roots into community. And I want to encourage you, whatever steps you need to take to invest time in your own personal transformation into the way of Jesus, like it is worth it. You know, if it means peeling back on family schedules, uh, not doing so many sports or extracurricular activities, it's worth it. Take one night a week and you commit it to being with the same community over time, praying together, worshiping together, sharing a meal, being intentional about what the Lord's doing in your life. Uh, So I want to encourage you to that end. Okay, Mark chapter 3, 7 through 11. We focused in this week on what I see is this real point of tension in the Scripture, and it's something that I haven't fully wrapped my mind and my heart around. 
but something that as, as we wrestle with what it means to be like Jesus, um, we find in Jesus that he is both the perfect reflection of the Father, right? Hebrews 1 says that the Son is the, or rather Hebrews 2 says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Uh, and so Jesus is the perfect image of what God looks like. Um, we all know that God is spirit, and um, because he's spirit, he is invisible to the naked eye. But when Jesus comes, he exposes humanity to the revelation of who God is. And so we find in Christ not just a little expression of parts of God's personality. We see this, this fullness. Um, and we see that in Colossians. It says that um, that. Christ had he had, was given the fullness of the deity came in bodily form, and so Jesus wasn't like a fraction um, of God. Um, he was the fullness of of the Godhead in flesh, and so he came in that complete capacity to expose to us who God is. But on this other side, Jesus also comes as a perfect representation of humanity, and so we see this dichotomy. Um, and we're not quite sure where to put the lines in our head and in our hearts sometimes. But what we have to understand is that in Christ is this mystery of both fully God and fully man. And because of that, Jesus has this pronounced capacity to empathize with my brokenness and my weaknesses and also to model what it means to be faithful. Uh, and the invitation for us as Christ followers is to look at the life of Jesus and to be awed and struck with worship at the at the love of God, the fullness of the deity who comes in bodily form to save us and to redeem us from our sin and brokenness, but also an invitation of what it is that God is um, transforming us into. He's actually causing us to take on the image and the likeness of his son Jesus in every way. And so we see here both the revelation of who God is, but also a revelation of who God is making us. Uh, and so I, I want to encourage you as we look at this, that this is really the wrestling point, the tension um, of the life of Jesus, is that he is both the reflection of God and he's a reflection of what humanity uh, should and is going to look like. Um, and so for us, that's really a linchpin. In fact, this really dovetails into so many other arguments when we get into marriage or sexuality or um, gender or any of those different conversations and discussions, we, we have to ask, do we find this fulfilled in the person of Jesus? We, we can't detach who we're becoming um, or what our, um, what our formation is leading us into um, apart from the person of Jesus. It's not just, is Jesus saving us and then kind of deputizing us to take whatever path we want in life. No, all of these things run through the person of Jesus. He's transforming us into his image with ever increasing glory. He's not transforming us into a better image of ourselves um, or a more holistic version of ourselves. He's transforming us into his image. Uh, and so there is this completion of humanity in Christ. He's the completion of Israel. He's the completion of humanity. He's the completion of every covenant. And in him, we find this fullness and God's inviting us into that. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to see that in Christ, we find the fulfilled picture of where we're headed. And we have to wrestle out this formation process in all of our lives. What decisions am I making about um, 
singleness or marriage or the geography I live in or my vocation um, or how I deal with finances or my sexuality. And that can't, that can't um, bypass the person in the work of Jesus. That's really important. Um, but we see this really, really incredible short uh, pronouncement in verse 7 that I think is really powerful. So if, if you are reading along, uh, maybe you can get on BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com or you're just turning through um, the physical pages of a Bible. If you're in Mark 3 verse 7, it says very simply that Jesus withdraws. And now at like a cursory glance of this, a cursory reading, I think we can skip over that. But we have to recognize that in this, Mark is actually, he's exposing us to the humanity of Jesus. Um, it is kind of obliterates our view that Jesus is just God when we start to recognize the actual human tendencies of Jesus and how that impacts his life. Um, there are these specific moments where Jesus falls asleep in the bottom of a boat. Uh, and you're thinking like, this is, this is a really poor time for Jesus to go to sleep. And yet Jesus is human. He's incredibly tangible. His, he's accessible. He has a personality. Jesus is not some, um, some robotic God figure or angelic being. Jesus comes in flesh and he, he lives among us. I mean, there are 30 years of humanity that we know very little about where Jesus is moving about. And I don't know how this works. Like we know in, uh, in, in his life that there is a moment when the Holy Spirit comes to rest on him at the age of, we believe it's 30. Uh, and he is kind of launched into his ministry career after being um, covered in the Spirit. The Spirit comes and rests on him, and then he goes into the wilderness and defeats Satan. Uh, he defeats all of the temptations of humanity, kind of in a in a single forty day period. He, uh, it's the scholars talk about this as a recapitulation or retelling of the story of Israel who failed in the wilderness and were judged for forty years. But Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he comes out triumphantly. And so we see Jesus kind of retelling the story of creation and God's promise and God's purpose. And he does it in this perfect way. Even, even in human flesh, Jesus comes and he's triumphant. But there is this whole season of time where Jesus is, man, people around him just look at him and they just see another person. They just see Mary's kid, Jesus. Uh, and so there was this season of hiddenness where Jesus is being formed and developed and he is faithful to the Father without any sense of of Godship from other people. Like they don't know who he is. And and we don't know like the degrees to which Jesus was fully aware that he was God. You know, there there's some revelation when he was twelve that that God was his father. Um, you know, he he told Mary and Joseph, like, I had to be about my father's business. I'm, I'm in the temple courts. I'm asking questions because I know that I'm about my father's business. But we know that Jesus is kind of growing in this place where he is, he's feeling the strain, I believe, of being both the son of God and son of man. Uh, and Philippians 2 goes on to tell us that he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. He didn't leverage his godness against his humanness. He was just fully human in this time and space, uh, and and at the same time, he was fully God. And so we don't know exactly what the tension looks like, but what we see here in Mark 3, 7, is that Jesus withdraws. He's, he's going through this incredibly busy season of ministry and pouring out of himself, 
Uh, and in the midst of that, he finds that there are there are these seasons where Jesus pulls away and he just prays by himself. Sometimes it's late at night, sometimes early in the morning. Um, but on this occasion, it says that Jesus withdraws with his disciples to go back to the sea. Um, and so we see this as a, a rhythm in the body of Christ and for Jesus um, that in the midst of pouring out, in the midst of showing compassion and loving the world around him, he also finds space and time to carve out where he can slow down and stop. Now, we see this over and again in the ministry of Jesus that, that these time frames aren't very successful for him a lot. You know, and if, if you've been in a, a place where you're leading an organization or um, for those of you who are in our community at Fountain City where you're pouring out into other people, uh, you know as well as I do that those times when you start to try to create margin are usually the times when other needs arise and where people have um, other desires for your life than you have for yourself. Um, but it's it's powerful to see that Jesus, who is God, is also leaning into his humanity and making space to stop. Uh, and we talked this past weekend about how important that is as leaders that we learn how to cease for ourselves, number one. That we really kind of lean into our own limitations and understanding that one of the, the works of the enemy is to keep us busy. One of the primary things that stands in opposition to your formation in Jesus is busyness. Now, I, I'm, I'm saying this because I believe it. But if you were to look at a lot of my schedule or my life or the way that my internal world works, um, I keep very busy. Even when I have nothing to do, somehow I can find a way to stay busy. Uh, and it's up to us to accept this invitation of God to step out of busyness and into something that looks like rest. Something that looks like this, this em embodiment of shalom, this peace, this full abundant way of life that God invites us into. Um, the word for rest in the scriptures, if you look back through it, if you go back into the, the kings in the Old Testament, it often talked about how they would defeat their enemies and then the king would come and find his rest. In the Psalms, it talks about God um, rising to his rest. And the image there is of the king sitting on the throne unopposed by enemies. Like there is peace and there is order. There's a fullness of life. There is blessing. And the image of us entering into the rest of God, entering into the Sabbath rest of God, is that God is seated on the throne of our lives and he is unopposed. And he brings with him blessing and tranquility and his presence. And there is something at work in us that is far greater than anything that can come against us. And God invites us into this kind of rest. And so what does it look like for you and I as Christ followers to actually stop and slow down or in the midst of our schedules to plan seasons or times away where we can simply withdraw and rest? If Jesus withdrew, you and I have a responsibility to also withdraw. If Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, chose periods of time to stop, then who do we think we are? What, what is it that we think we are actually capable of if we are unwilling to surrender to the rhythms of rest? I know for me, um, 
there is a significant difference in who I am and how I relate to people around me and to my kids and to my wife when I'm resting versus when I'm not resting. If I'm strategic, if I take my time seriously through the week, um, one of the things that I talked about on Sunday that I really try to do, I try to get most of my week in preparation done by Thursday afternoon. Um, that way, when I get into Friday, Friday and Saturday, I will try to take a 24-hour period and just shut down. Now, this is still like in beta mode for me. I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I can to try to put this stuff into practice, but I got to be honest. Um, there's just a lot that comes on the weekends with church planting, and I'm sure with anyone who's running their own business or you just have a, a lot of kids, life is just busy. And there seems to always be an opportunity to, uh, to create more um, hustle and bustle, to, to fill your schedule full of stuff. Uh, I, I don't know how it is for everybody else, but I know for me that sometimes it feels like I have to fight to keep my schedule simple. Um, and the older I get, the more that I long for simplicity when it comes to, to life. Uh, the people that I spend time with, I want, I want to invest deeply in those relationships. Um, but oftentimes, our schedules dictate the level of our spiritual formation and how we're growing in Christ. And so what I've recognized is it comes at a high price if I want to grow in Jesus. I look in our community, for those of you who are in Fountain City, uh, and there are lots of times where it is overwhelming to think about how Many of you are growing in Christ because your schedules are so full. You fill it to the brim. And for those of you who are, particularly if you're single, you might be trying to fill it like to a, an extent to, uh, to make up for what you feel like you don't have in your life if, if you're lacking a spouse or a mate. But if I could encourage you, man, seize the opportunity to, to create margin around spaces where you're being developed in Jesus by yourself. There are also the spaces where you're doing that in community, you know, uh, in our weekly community gatherings or on the weekend when we're worshiping and praying together. Those are times where we're being formed in gatherings with other people. But man, make space to be formed alone, because I promise you, moms and dads of young kids, they long for space for that spiritual formation. They long for space where they can get alone and be in a book or reading the scriptures or just spending 15 or 20 minutes in silence. So, but no matter what season you're in, if it's in a season of singleness, or if you're married uh, and you are and you have kids and your house is full, I want to challenge you that this formation cannot take place in you if your life is overbusied. And I want to just ask the question: like, what does it look like for you to create a sustainable rhythm of life? If if you have something scheduled every night of the week. I would like to suggest that that is not a sustainable way to live. I actually want to encourage you to figure out places where you can cut things out. If extracurricular activities are every night of the week, I want to encourage you that that might be taking the a, a place in your heart and your mind that is like worship to some degree. You know, like we, we don't like to view it like that, but I, I look at our culture and oftentimes, the greatest indication of what you worship, um, you can draw a line back to it in terms of where you spend your money and your time and your energy. And I just want to ask you that. Like, where, where are you spending your best time and money and energy? What are you worshiping? What are you focusing on? 
What is the attention of your life aimed at? Because if we believe um, that worshiping God and being formed in his image is really the most important thing, then our schedule and our our budget uh, and our inner world will reflect that. The, the thing that our focus is on will reflect that. But I'll be honest, if my calendar looks more um, aimed at my financial prowess or um, at sports or at uh, hobbies and extracurricular things, it, it may be it may be that you have given a higher priority to things of, of the world than, than we should. And I'm not saying for sure, like I, I, we don't want to create a black and white legalism. I just want to encourage you to think that being formed in the image of Jesus does not happen in little one and two hour time blocks. That it really is a daily and weekly and monthly and yearly practice. And that it's something that you're doing over and over where you are giving priority and time and capacity to Jesus. And through that, he forms your life. Um, And so in the same way, I want to encourage you in families. How do you withdraw from the daily um, rigorous agendas and slow down to be with Jesus? How do you make space in quiet and stillness for your kids to be formed in Jesus? That's something that my family's still trying to figure out. I can tell you for us, um, I'm daily trying to determine like what is the best way to help my 10-year-old learn to connect and love to connect with Jesus. Because right now, I remember as a, as a kid, it felt like a legalism. You know, I would do things because it was the responsible thing or the dutiful thing. Um, and I'm asking that question for my girls too. How do, I, how do I lead them and love them in a way that makes following Jesus appealing to them as well? How do they see the way of Jesus and not just view it as a legalism? And that takes time. So we see that Jesus withdraws. And I think that this is really beautiful because the invitation for us is that we, we can also stop. Um, we can slow down. When life gets to be too much, we can stop. And rather than waiting on hitting the stress cycles that take us out um, of the battle, what if we began to like forecast out and create rhythms of rest? What if we started to actually embrace a 24-hour Sabbath every week where we turn off our devices and, uh, and just do things that bring rest and restoration and fun and worship into our daily rhythms and weekly rhythms? I think that's really special. But the second thing that we see is we see that Jesus doesn't just retreat alone. He doesn't just withdraw by himself in this moment. This isn't like an uh, ex, uh, um, like an introversion experience. He's actually going away with a group of people. Now, just being in the line of work that I'm in where I'm with people a lot and I'm naturally wired as an introvert, this is a challenge to my flesh, I'll be honest with you. Because I'm finding the older that I get, um, there are fewer and fewer people that I feel like I relate to in a very peaceful way. You know, people who are just, I can relate to without feeling overworked or strained. But Jesus has this group of people who these men are following him everywhere he goes. They're living, you know, house to house, place to place with him. They're eating meals. They're learning from his way of life. They're watching him intimately and up close. And I just think that Jesus is looking at them and he recognizes that they're getting weary and worn out. Or maybe they're getting so uh, buzzed on the mission 
that he wants them to remember their humanity. He wants them to remember that this is this is about actual life, not just this push to a finish line, but he wants them to lead into something that is sustainable. And it's not just a program that we do from, you know, nine to five through the week, but this is something that looks like life. That I can follow Jesus even in my rest cycles, not just when I'm working or not just when I'm sharing the gospel, but even when I'm resting, that this is something where I'm consumed with the life and the way of Jesus. So Jesus takes his guys and he goes back to the sea and he spends time with them. That's the goal, right? And we we see that his plan is kind of spoiled by the needs of people. Um, And Jesus, over and again, I'm really blown away by this. When he is faced uh, with needing to um, to shift his time and his focus and attention, he never gripes and complains, but he always has compassion on people and their needs. And, and I just wonder for us, you know, if we are living in this place of rhythms of rest, you know, I do believe that we will lean in and have the capacity to be filled with compassion when people need extra time. When people have needs that bleed even into my Sabbath, I have a feeling that if I'm living in a a rhythm, a sustainable way that I'm being rested, I do believe that I'm drawing out of a reservoir when people have needs. You know, the Sabbath is not meant to be a legalism to where somebody's needs come up and I just reject them out of hand because I'm, I'm more about fighting for my Sabbath than I am about people being helped or tended to. Jesus is encouraging them toward a rhythm of rest and restoration so that they can give freely and abundantly from themselves when the, when the opportunity arises. But we see Jesus who, he invites his guys to come with him, and I really believe that this is important. It shows that there is something special about the community of Jesus. There's something special about the church that we actually lean into rest and restoration, not just as individuals, but collectively together. Uh, And this is something that I really want to see happen in our community. I know in the churches I've grown up in through the years, uh, my parents would have, you know, a special group of friends or people that really brought them life and rest. But I also saw that the pressures of ministry and just life had a tendency to peel away at those relationships or to make them superficial or to really kind of whittle down the amount of access and vulnerability my parents were able to give to others. And one of the things that I find to be a real challenge in my life, as I'm seeing right now, how busy it is and the tendency of leadership to isolate and to pull back, I really am trying to be proactive to figure out the the relationships that God has given to me to rest in. The people whom God has surrounded me with, that it's not a one-way relationship, but it really is a... Um, a two-way street and there's reciprocation and people understand that I'm not just leader and pastor, but I'm also a person who needs to drink from relationships and receive from other people. And we see this in Jesus. He, he invites his friends to go together. I, I've got this dream for our community that one day our communities, you know, our, our midweek gatherings, that those people will start to plan vacations together, that people will enjoy spending time with each other so much that uh, it's not just a Tuesday night thing from six to nine, but that there's like, hey, we're, we're going to go grab coffee. You guys want to come or we're going to go to make a Target run or we're going to go see a movie on Friday night. And people are like engaging in double dates and they're going out to, uh, to meals after church on Sunday or whatever, but that our lives are filled with these anchor points and connection points 
because we have learned to do life together. We delight in being with one another. And for many people, that is not an issue at all. Man, you delight in that kind of community. But for some of you, if you're like me, you, you're a little more introverted. And, uh, and it takes a little more um, intentionality. And I just want to encourage you. That's okay. But we see here in, in the life of Jesus that he practices both. And so what I hope for our community is that we can wrestle past this point of superficial uh, programs and experiences into a rhythm that looks sustainable and involves others in a way that's authentic and natural and real. Um, And I believe that this is one of the more beautiful invitations that we have from Jesus. Not only that we're to be faithful and obedient as sons and daughters of God, but that we're also human. And that even in the places of our weakness or the places where our personalities are exposed, um, that we can invite other people into that. We can begin to look eye to eye with others and be rested and restored together as we kind of take off our armor and explore what it means to link arms with people and to live in real community. And I think one of the things that pops out to me as being really important is if we're going to do that, we have to take off performance as a way of life. Like for me, I so easily shift into perfectionism and performance. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing more clearly than anything is that if I'm going to practice accountability and vulnerability, I have to, I have to put to death this sense that I need to perform for people uh, and really live into authenticity. And I think that that's easier said than done, but I think the invitation is there for all of us. What does it look like for me to lean out of performance and perfectionism and into something that feels tangible? Uh, It it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't always have to look excellent. It doesn't always have to be perfect. I I love the quote that says, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. That sounds really backward, but I think the reality is there. If something really is important, we should do it whether or not we feel like we're doing it great. You know, this is the last thing I'll share before I kind of close up. But several years back, I remember God was working with me on just having a conversational prayer life and moving outside of performance with him and into just being present with him. And one of the things he told me uh, was, Grant, when people go to work out, the thing that brings transformation is not them showing up and always lifting the most weight every day. It's just them being consistent to show up and to be present in Um, and participate in the practice that day. And so a lot of times the same thing happens with us. It's just creating a rhythm where something happens over and over and over again. For some of us, if you're entering into midweek communities with new people that you don't know, there's a little bit of like tension and awkwardness with just trying to figure out how people operate, how they respond to things, how they communicate, what's important to them, you know. I remember uh, several years ago, my wife was running a small group and some ladies got into it over like some, it, it felt like a very trivial, trivial issue to me. But I think for all of us, we enter into communities with a little bit of tension in our gut because we're not quite sure how people think and how they're going to think about us. And this is really just about showing up and staying consistent. It's not about things being perfect or easy. It is about showing up and loving people the way that Jesus loves us. And you do that over and over and over again. And you create this muscle memory 
uh, that looks like maturity. If you look at anybody's life of somebody who is mature, it's somebody who has learned to show up consistently on good days and bad days and on days and off days just because they knew that it was the right thing. And I believe God's calling us to do the same thing. And so what does it look like for you to be a person who puts into place uh, days and weeks and months, seasons of time where you are resting strategically? You're taking time away so that you can continue to live on purpose with everything God has put inside of you. And what does it look like to do, with, do that with people? Maybe you just start small. Maybe there's a, a friend that you really enjoy. Just Why don't you just ask that person out at coffee and just see if you can sit and learn to build a little bit of capacity and social interaction. Man, our world, it is going to become an art form to just spend time with people and to have conversation. Because right now, our community is, and I'm not talking about Fountain City, I'm just talking about the world around us. We are going more and more digital and virtual to the extent that people no longer have the capacity to hold normal conversations. That's why pornography is on the rise. That's why, even for me, man, I would much rather text message then do a phone call. Uh, there, it's just something that's wired in us. We have created a bunch of loopholes to accessibility and to actual conversation. And so I just want to encourage you, why don't you bite the bullet and figure out what does it look like for me to start practicing resting and withdrawing and connecting with people on an intimate level that changes the way that I live. I promise you, spiritual formation will not happen outside of community. We'll have a bunch of people who believe in the powerful, charismatic movement of the Spirit, but who are unable to do that with other people because you've never learned how to rest with them. You've never learned how to live outside of perfectionism and performance. Do I know what that fully looks like? Absolutely not. But I'm striving in the same direction you are. We love you. I hope you guys have a great week, and I hope this has been kind of helpful in wrestling back through Mark 3, 7 through 11. We'll see you next week.